All right, so we're starting a new book today, the book of Galatians. Hopefully you guys are as excited about this as I am. Uh, Galatians is known as, by some people anyway, as the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. And uh, so that just kind of shows what's the importance of this. The reformers leaned pretty heavily on the book of Galatians when they were reforming and uh, protesting and breaking away from the Catholic Church. Uh, You can just see the importance of this book as you go through it. Uh, The book itself has a theme of justified by faith, a pretty simple theme, uh, but an important one because still today I think we have this struggle of recognizing that our faith is enough for our salvation. We always seem to have this struggle as believers. Uh, If you were to sit down and read this book, it would take you 18 minutes or so, depending on how fast or slow of a reader you are. Some of you would be able to get it done quicker, some of them a little slower, but it's a really short book is my point. It it doesn't take that long and it's well worth your time. Uh, I would suggest if you haven't yet that you take the time, even if you want while I'm preaching, I'm fine with that, or throughout the week this week, just sit down and read through this book. I promise my sermon will be longer than 18 minutes, so you'll have plenty of time to read it. Um, But uh, just take the time to kind of read it through in its entirety. If you don't feel like you're a good reader, you can go online and listen to it. There's all kinds of places, Bible Gateway and places like that, where you can just have somebody read it to you. Um, But it's, it's worth your time to go through that. Uh, This one was so important to Martin Luther, Uh, he says this of it, he says, The letter to the Galatians is my beloved epistle. I trust it. It is my Kate von Bora. Kate von Bora was his wife. He named this book after his wife to show how much he loved this book. And in a way, it shows how much he loves his wife. Uh, as much as his own salvation, I would say. Uh, But you kind of look at how this book has really played into the heart uh, of the world, of the Christian world. I think it is a key book that we need to have uh, our hearts uh, constantly going back to these same concepts that we're going to see in here, that we are justified by faith. The the book breaks down into two pretty, I'm sorry, three pretty simple uh, sections. The first two chapters, uh, it's the, the, tells us that the gospel was revealed to Paul. Uh, It was given to Paul by Jesus himself. Uh, Then chapters three and four, Paul begins to go into a greater explanation of the gospel and how that works out of being justified by faith. Uh, And then in chapters five and six, uh, we get to see the gospel walked in our own life. It's how to live out this gospel. Uh, we'll get to see how ultimately the gospel is walked through the fruit of the Spirit. So uh, great stuff ahead of us here today. Uh, if you're looking for a theme for chapter 1, uh, the, ch- the theme is this. Any gospel that does not match the gospel revealed by Jesus is not good news at all. Uh, that's kind of the big idea if you're looking for one uh, for this particular chapter. Any gospel that doesn't match the gospel revealed by Jesus is not good news at all. So let's start here in verse 1. Seems like a good place to start a book. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. 
Amen. This is kind of a standard uh, salutation, a standard entry uh, into a letter, something that we would see often in the epistles, something that we kind of see in our own life. We tell people when we write a letter who it's from and who it's going to. Uh, We do it a little different. One of the weird things we do is we put our name at the end of a letter, which is awkward because you read this whole cool letter and you're like, who's this from? Oh, yeah. But hopefully if you got it in the mail, their name was on the envelope somewhere, right? And yes, you're like me, I don't want anybody to know my own personal business, so I just put some initials up there where my name should go in the uh, envelope. Nobody needs to know all that business about me. But uh, Paul here, like all of his other letters, uh, introduces himself and then introduces the church. So Paul is writing this. Uh, He is writing it to the churches of Galatia. If you were to spend some time in the book of Acts in chapters 16 and chapters 18, you'll see that Paul really just kind of passed through the regions of Galatia. Uh, And as Paul does, when he passes through a region, he starts some churches. That's what happened here in Galatia. He was starting these churches Uh, Paul is making a big point here, probably more, he makes this point in all of his letters at some point, uh, but he probably more so than others, he's making this point that when he writes, he's writing as Paul, an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent out by somebody else, and specifically he's saying that he was sent out not by men or any agency of men, he was sent out through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, what he's saying to the Galatians is the things that he's writing to them, he's writing at the request of Jesus of God. He's writing as their ambassador. He's writing on their behalf, that they're supposed to receive this as not just a letter from Paul, but really as a letter from God himself. That Paul has been given the authority to write this to them, to give him the, the reason that he can do this is because Jesus has given him the authority to do this. Uh, And it's important as he does this in this explanation here, it's a parenthetical thought in English, not sent from men or through any other human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's important at the end of that that he points out it was God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Because what Paul's trying to do with this book is to correct some false teachings about the gospel. Specifically, uh, there was a a group that we we would call today, we call them the Judaizers, uh, and they were trying to mix uh, the idea of Judaism with salvation in the New Testament. Now, uh, understand this, Judaism and Christianity ultimately are the same religion. They're the same thing, It's just that Judaism has not understood that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the sacrifice for their sins. So Judaism, apart from Christ, is false religion, but any Jew who is truly Jewish would recognize Jesus as their Messiah, which is a true religion. The problem that we have and that Paul was having in that day is that there are these groups that try to mix the two, and they want to hold on to the Jewish traditions as if those things would save them, in addition to a new set of New Testament traditions and rules and regulations. They kind of throw all these things together. They've kind of packaged them together. You'll run across people that are like this, and they'll do some things that uh, we would find a little bit weird. Maybe they uh, continue to keep tassels on their shirts like Jews would, or, or maybe they will uh, refuse to call Jesus Jesus. They'll say, his name's not Jesus, it's Yeshua. Well, yeah, but when you translate it into Greek and transliterate it into English, it's 
Jesus. It's the same thing, but they, they, they take these little tiny points to kind of push through these things, but they will take them sometimes, not everybody, but sometimes to the point of saying, well, if you're not following the Jewish feasts, you're not pleasing to God. If you're not following the Jewish laws of dietary things, you're not really saved. And so they kind of make these points, and it goes back to the same problem we talked about at the end of the Second Corinthians. It's anytime your salvation is faith in Jesus Christ and, and you've got a problem. It's just faith in Jesus Christ. You're saved by faith through grace apart from works, so that no man may boast. So Paul is going to be putting this emphasis on Jesus throughout this first chapter, even there in his introduction. So verse 3 there where he begins again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just a very traditional um, uh, salutation, a traditional greeting. Uh, But I love this. Again, as soon as he gets to the name Jesus, he wants to give some clarification. So last time the clarification was that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now in verse 4, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. It was God the Father's will that Jesus would surrender his life to save us from our sins, and to rescue us from this present evil age. And Paul just wants to drop that bit of doctrine right in the middle of his introduction. He just, every time he sees the name of Jesus, he just has to add these kind of important, I think, details. But again, it's all purposeful. It's all intentional. Uh, When we see the Lord Jesus Christ, even the name and the way he says it has some authority with it. In the way he's using Lord here, he's making the indication, uh, first and foremost, that Jesus is the boss, that he's in charge, that he's ultimately the one that we're following, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when it says Jesus, it means Yahweh saves. And then when it says Christ, it means that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the ones that the Jews have been waiting for. All of these things are kind of built into the language that Paul is using. They maybe wouldn't be as obvious to us because we don't have that Jewish background, but it is important for us as Christians to keep reminding ourselves that those words have meaning, they have weight. Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Messiah. When he says Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling us something there. Uh, But Jesus gave himself up in verse 4 for a specific reason, for our sins. Going back, right back to the gospel, Paul wants to get wrapped into our brain this concept over and over again uh, that Jesus' death was to pay the price for our sins. And apart from his death, there is no way to pay the price for our sins. You can't outwork your sin. You can't work yourself into a position of being in a right state with God. There's no list of traditions that you could follow. There's no other sacrifices you could bring. There's nothing else that will save you apart from Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of all of your sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've not been forgiven of any of your sins, and you're still in your unrighteousness before God. That's the reality that Paul wants to bring across here. He's trying to make this point very clear as he goes through this. 
Uh, important for us to see as well this phrase, this present evil age. Uh, the, the Old Testament view is uh, that there was the evil age and then there was the age to come. And that's the, the coming kingdom of the Messiah that they've been waiting for, right? And so Paul is uh, helping us to see that Jesus is the one who brings us out of the present age, what he calls an evil age, and will bring us uh, into the future age. This is a phrase that Jesus used. We saw it uh, in the Great Commission in uh, Matthew chapter 28 at the end of that book there. Uh, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, um, uh, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even until the end of the age. And that's where Paul's picking it up back here, that Jesus is the one who rescues us from this evil age. He's the one that will be with us until that time that we're in that future age, that age where Jesus is truly ruling as king over the earth. We look forward to those things. We're hoping in those things. All of this accomplished according to the will of God of the Father. Important again to remember, this was God's plan. This was God's purpose. If we come up with a better plan according to our will on how to get saved, it'll be wrong. It won't be real. It won't actually happen. Uh, this is where these false religions, these cultish practices come from, where somebody has a good idea. You know, salvation by grace through faith is good, but it's not quite religious enough. I imagine if it was salvation by grace through faith plus a bun in your hair, now you're really saved. That's how you tell the saved women from the unsaved women. No, that's not how you tell the saved women from the unsaved women. Well, what if it was important for us to recognize that uh, true and godly people don't dance? And so if somebody's dancing, they're probably not saved. Again, it falls. Now, understand, some people just shouldn't be dancing. I get that. <laughs> but that's not a sign of saved or unsaved because we're not saved by anything else. And people kind of have all these rules they try to put on it and they try to, uh, and I think it's always well-intended. I think they're trying to help people reform their activity, but modify their behavior to live more like a, a person who's following God. But in doing so, sometimes the emphasis becomes so much on the other thing that you feel like you somehow have now earned your salvation because you dress the right way, you talk the right way, you avoid the right things. Therefore, you're going to stand before Jesus someday and say, my skirt always went past my knee. Every single time. And Jesus is so, okay, great, thanks for that information. So, <laughs> tell me about your faith. <laughs> and there's always going to be this danger within the Christian heart to, to have Jesus and. So Paul just keeps hammering all of this back to this. All of this is to glorify the Father in heaven. All of this is intended for that purpose. Paul does something interesting here between verse 5 and verse 6 that you won't see, and that is that he skips uh, what he typically puts in a letter, what would typically be written in a letter at that time. Typically, there would be a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving in this section, and Paul just skips it. And so if you look at most of the, the New Testament letters that Paul wrote, he always has this kind of nice little blessing of thanksgiving in there. 
Um, but he skips that entirely because he's introduced the topic that he really wants to get to, and that is the topic of salvation through Jesus Christ. So in verse 6, he gets right into this uh, issue, and, and, and as you know, anytime Paul's writing a letter to a church that we have recorded for us, it's because there's a problem in the church, and he feels like he has to address it. He feels like he has to deal with it. The problem that they had in Galatia was that they were being fed a pack of lies about a different way of looking at the gospel. So Paul says this in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what, you have, uh, what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be cursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant. Of Christ. So here Paul is laying out the real problem. The churches of Galatia have been disturbed by those who are bringing a distorted gospel, a different gospel, another gospel of Jesus. And Paul's just amazed that they fell for it. He was the one who brought the gospel to them. Why would they think to themselves, the gospel that saved us probably wasn't quite right. Maybe we need some more stuff. Maybe we need more information. But again, I, I think it's typical of average human beings to just keep wondering about the past. Was it enough? Was it enough? I mean, I was eight years old when I accepted Christ. Was that enough? I mean, I believed wholeheartedly in Jesus, but was that enough? Yes, it was enough. It was enough. You can trust in that faith. Hold on to that faith. Remember that faith. That's where your salvation comes from. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's just amazed that they're so quickly deserting him and deserting, the, deserting not him, deserting him, Jesus, the deserting the gospel, deserting God. Uh, I do like the wording here. I think it's important for us to just keep hammering this and when it comes up in Scripture in verses 6 and 7. This is a different gospel, which is not really another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This different gospel, this another gospel, and then there in verse 8 where he talks about a gospel that's contrary, even if it comes from an angel of heaven. Uh, Paul says, even if I show up again and I preach a different gospel, it's the wrong gospel. And I say this because we do know that in our culture there are cultish groups who say specifically we have another gospel of Jesus Christ that was revealed to us by an angel of light. Paul specifically addressed this nearly 2,000 years ago. If somebody comes preaching another gospel revealed by an angel of light, it's a false gospel. Run from it. Flee from it. And specifically today, we would say that that's the Mormon church. They've clearly even stated in their own advertising, it's another gospel. It's a different gospel revealed to us by an angel of light. They're telling us in their own advertising that they're a cult. 
We need to remind ourselves of these things. So, I do think it is interesting, Paul even saying, even if I change my mind later, it's probably because I just got old and I forgot. My mind has slipped. I've been deceived. He's so caught up in this idea because he knows the source from which he received the gospel. He received the gospel from Jesus himself. And that's what Paul's going to go on uh, to say in the rest of this particular chapter. He wants to kind of make that point clear as he goes through the rest of this chapter. He wants us to understand everything that he proclaims about the gospel are things that he received from Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter who speaks to him later. It doesn't matter what he thinks up later. It doesn't matter if his mind goes off the rails later. It doesn't matter if an angel speaks to him later. None of those have authority over Jesus Christ. And so the gospel revealed by Jesus himself is the gospel that Paul wants them to cling to, to be continued to connect it to. And he even goes so far, uh, and he says it twice here in verses 8 and 9, twice he says, if there's any other gospel being preached to you, the person who preaches it is to be accursed. It's the, the word we have, uh, you maybe heard this word, anathema. But these people are to be accursed. Essentially, he's cursing them to hell for proclaiming a different gospel. That's serious business. This isn't playtime. This isn't just, oh, we have a different religious choice than you, but it's okay because all religions lead to God. No. Although everybody will stand before God, there's only the truth of the gospel and everything else is false. And anybody that's following anything false will not get extra credit because they tried hard. They're not going to get extra credit because they were deceived. The gospel is revealed to us by Jesus Christ, and we hold on to that gospel and nothing else. Paul's not doing this to please men. He's doing it because he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jesus is his boss, and he will do whatever his boss tells him to do, which is to proclaim the gospel that we need to be reminded of, that each one of us separated from God because of our own sinfulness. A kind of a side note, an interesting thing that I kind of skipped over here, but I think it's important. There in verse 6 and 7, when you see that word gospel, that is for us translated as gospel, but it's really a, a word that would mean good news or heralding good news or bringing good news or proclaiming good news. It's this idea of good news. And the reason I think that's funny, uh, to me it's funny, is just this idea that if anybody brings a different gospel, a different set of good news, it's not really good news, is it? It's a lie. It's not the truth. And Paul even says it here. It's really not another because there is no other gospel on which you can be saved. There is no other truth. This is the revealed truth of God. So if they bring you another gospel, it's a lie because it's not good news. It's bad news. It's destructive news. It's distorting and drawing you away from the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants from you. There is no other gospel. Verse 11, now Paul's going to make his, his point here about the gospel being revealed to him. In verse 11 he says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, 
who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, uh, his, I'm sorry, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away from, to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Uh, Paul's really trying to make this point clear. He didn't hear the story of the gospel from somebody else. It's not a game of telephone for him where he heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend, right? He heard it from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He wants them to understand how clear this is to him. It was revealed to him by Jesus. Of course, uh, you can see uh, how that uh, uh, worked out for him uh, early on in the life of the Apostle Paul. Chapters 7, 8, and 9, you start to get introduced to Paul. Uh, it says here uh, that he was uh, known, uh, his former matter of life, how he used to persecute the church. I, I love the way it says it in the book of Acts. In chapter 8, it says that he was ravaging the Christian church. He was ravaging it. He was going door to door, imprisoning people. He was, I mean, I mean, he was searching out Christians for the purpose of persecuting. That was his life. That was his life. It's a persecution we don't understand really here in America. We've not truly experienced it in that way. But that's what Paul's life was as a Jew. He would all throughout the region, door to door, to see if there were any Christians there. That's kind of backwards, right? Christians go door to door to see if there's any heathens there. But here Paul was going door to door to find the Christians so that he could persecute them, so that he could imprison them. Uh, he was there and in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. When they put Stephen to death for proclaiming the gospel, Paul was right there cheering it on. That's who Paul was. As far as his Judaism, he was a Jew of, of all Jews. Uh, he was, as he says, advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. I was the most Jewish Jew you ever met. That's who Paul was. He was proud of his Judaism. It wasn't like he was upset with his old religion and thought he would look for something better. Years ago when I was in the military, I had a, a guy I was trying to witness to, and every time I would explain the gospel to him, he'd go, I don't know, I'm kind of a free agent right now. I'm just kind of waiting for the right good deal to come along. I'm like, there is no other deal. This is the deal. There's nothing better than salvation and forgiveness of all of your sins. Well, you know, I'll kind of play it cool until the end, see what kind of works out. I'm like, you're not going to be playing it cool in the end, bro. It's not going to be cool at all. This is the mentality that Paul's trying to prevent the people from understanding or thinking that he was just an unhappy Jew who jumped to Judaism. He's like, no, I was so happy as a Jew. I was the best Jew that there was. But God, God showed up. And once he met the resurrected Jesus Christ, which is important, Jesus was dead. He died. He paid the price for our sins. God proved his power and proved that Jesus was who he said he was when he raised him from the dead. God gave evidence of that. You think God would raise Jesus from the dead if God disagreed with the gospel that Jesus was preaching? And God would say to himself, you know what the world needs is more of this guy. No, God raised him from the dead as an approval of the work and the ministry of Jesus. So as he proclaims that, he then resurrects Jesus and Paul gets to meet the resurrected Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus speaks to him and calls him out and tells him he's going to bring the gospel to the world. That's what Paul was asked to do by Jesus. Paul heard the gospel to him from him. It was revealed, it was received by Paul from Jesus Christ. Even in 1 Corinthians where Paul describes the gospel. Christ died for our sins and was buried, raised on the third day and appeared. It says, this is the gospel as I received it, as it was revealed to me. It was revealed by Jesus himself. It's so important that Paul makes this point. This isn't something I received from other people. Uh, And he even goes on to kind of make this point. Hey, after I received the gospel, I didn't go to Jerusalem to the apostles. I, I didn't do any of that stuff. I went away to Arabia. And then I went to Damascus. Verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, uh, and stayed with him for 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God before of it. Or they were glorifying God because of Paul. And what he's trying to get across again, this point, the gospel that he's proclaiming is the one that was revealed by Jesus Christ. There's no other need for anybody else to bring other details to that gospel. There's no other reason for anybody else to say, yes, Paul's kind of got it right, but there's a little bit more that you're not quite getting. Paul says, no, this is what was revealed by Jesus Christ. I had a friend that went through this uh, real struggle in his faith. Somewhere along the line, he decided that Paul was preaching a different gospel than Jesus Christ. He made that decision for himself. And so he said, self, since I've made this decision, I'm going to start to follow it as if it's true. And so the first thing he did is he stopped reading anything that was written by Paul. He determined that the things that were written by Paul weren't true. And so he was only going to read the gospels. But then as he started going through the gospels and started seeing things that connected, it started to make him mad. So then he started cutting out pieces of the gospel and tried to find a church that agreed with him which was a real struggle, by the way. And then that went forward to him just being frustrated in his faith altogether. And then that went forward to him being no longer a follower of Jesus Christ. And then that went forward to now, all he does is humiliate people who are followers of Jesus Christ. He takes any opportunity to try to shame them. He's also probably unconnected, become an alcoholic. He's also left all of his friendships behind because he couldn't allow himself to believe that Paul received a revelation from Jesus Christ. He just couldn't do it. It wasn't fair. Why Paul? Why not me? Why wouldn't Jesus speak to me? Why wouldn't Jesus reveal himself to me personally? Jesus revealed himself to Paul who wrote it down for us. Now, it's interesting that he mentions here that he went and spent 15 days with Cephas in verse 18 uh, with uh, Simon Peter, because later in Peter's letters, Peter will call the writings of the Apostle Paul Scripture. And what Paul's really getting at is, and you'll see it in chapter 2 as well, what he's really getting at is that he had the gospel before he met the Apostles. 
but the apostles will actually ultimately side with Paul and agree that he has the true gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this to combat that false teaching that was going through Galatia by the Judaizers, those who were saying salvation comes by Jesus and tradition, Jesus and following the law. And so we see again, there's still some real danger of that today. That people will come in, different religious groups will come in and say it's Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. I would uh, say one interesting one I think that we do have to consider and look at in many ways is when I talk to many of my friends who are Catholic. One of the things they often tell to me is, yes, but what about the traditions? You're really good on the Word of God, but what about the traditions? Those are important too. If you don't follow those traditions, then you're not in the faith. And they actually have this way of theologically uh, lining it out to me that is really kind of scary. What they've told me in the past is, I was probably saved up until they revealed to me that I needed to follow the traditions. But once I heard that, I was responsible for it. And now because I'm not following the traditions of the Catholic Church, I'm probably actually not saved. You see how dangerous it is to just throw this little bit extra in there. And look, I happen to believe that the Catholic Church has the right person of Jesus. They understand who Jesus is. But it's so easy to start adding things to that. And then those things get passed on generationally. And over time, the passed on things become more important than the real things. And my favorite story I ever heard about this, a guy was trying to explain uh, the, how he learned to pray. Uh, he didn't really know much of religion, but he saw somebody else praying. And every single day, uh, this person would get down on their knees at their bed. They would lean on their bed, on their knees, and they would take their cat or their dog. I can't actually remember what it is now, but they would take that animal and they would tie it to the bedpost next to him. And then they would begin to pray. So this little guy grows up watching this happen over and over and over again. And then when he grows up and decides he wants to start praying, what does he do? Well, he gets on his knees next to his bed and he takes his pet and he ties it to the bedpost. And after a while, his kids are like, dad, why do you tie the cat to the bedpost every time you pray? He says, well, that's how I learned to pray. I want to do it right. You see how you just bring these little traditions along with you. But you can't remember why you have them sometimes. And then you pass them on to the next generation. The next generation has no idea why you started doing that thing. No clue whatsoever. Kind of like telephones today, right? Hand a 14-year-old a telephone with a dial on it and ask him to call somebody. We understand it because we lived it, right? We knew that that had a purpose and a reason. They would look at that thing and go, that doesn't mean anything to me. But my mom always had one on the wall, so I'm going to put one on the wall. It's just tradition. But it doesn't do anything if you don't know how to use it, right? For these guys, Paul was so concerned that these Judaizers were bringing in Jesus and, Jesus and. What he's going to get to in chapter 2 and then in chapter 3 as well is this description of justification by faith. That we are justified in the eyes of God through our faith in Jesus Christ 
who paid the price for our sins. So that as he died for our sins, our sins were forgiven. So his righteousness is applied to us when our sin was applied to his death. Paul's concern was that people were receiving a different gospel. And any gospel that doesn't match the gospel revealed by Jesus Christ, it's just not good news. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so thankful for your word today, so thankful for the baptism and the ordination and, uh, Lord, just so many great things that you have going on in your kingdom all the time. And this is just one place where that happens. There are things going on all over the world today. You're adding to your number daily those who are saved. Lord, I would pray and ask and hope that as we go through passages like the book of Galatians, that it will create a reformation in our own heart. And that this book will for us become beloved. Lord, I would pray for anybody today who has been deceived by a false gospel, by another gospel. Anybody in the room who's hearing this, anybody that will hear it online in the future. Anybody who maybe um, hear about it from a friend. Lord, that they would begin to see that they've been deceived by all the stuff that has been added into the very simple gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and then raised on the third day. If they've been trusting in anything except faith in the Jesus who died for their sins, Lord, help them put those things away today and trust fully in you. Father, maybe there's somebody that's just never heard this before, that they can be forgiven and set free of their sins. Lord, would you let today be their day of salvation, their moment when they realize this truth? Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.